0: The new AM740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions
1: expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests.
2: The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk Sports.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. And if you're listening in downtown Toronto, uh, you can listen in to us on 96.7 FM. I'm your host, uh, Walter Rigabon, My usual co-host, Naz Monkese, unfortunately, is unable to join me this morning. He's feeling a little bit under the weather. Naz, I know you're out there listening. Uh, get better soon. Hope to hope to see you back as soon as possible. But joining me in studio this morning, uh, Lou Franceschetti. Lou, of course, former Washington Capital, Toronto Maple Leaf, and Buffalo Sabre. Good morning, Lou. How are you?
4: Morning, Wally. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. I'm uh, a little bit uh, worn out from all the... All the sport that 's happening down in the United States, which is of course the biggest blood sport of all, which is the watching the Republicans go at it i 'm telling you uh, i 've never seen better entertainment in my life than watching some of those debates down there but uh, I know you have some interesting comments, but we 're not, uh, not we're not we 're not a political show, so uh, we we won 't go there any further, although that I uh, just learned, just remembered this morning that uh, donald trump 's a member of the w w e Hall of Fame. That explains everything. Let's move on. Uh, Big story this this morning, of course, is the return of Dion Phaneuf. Before we get that, I just want to tell our listeners who's going to be our guest this morning. We have Killer coming on the show after the first break, Doug Gilmore, um, one of the most beloved Toronto Maple Leafs of all time. In the middle of the show, we'll be talking Raptors. Raptors are on a roll and uh, we'll be talking to Leo Rout. Leo Routon's Raptors analyst but a uh, couple of stories this week the one from last night Dion Phaneuf's return to the Air Canada Centre and uh, there had been much speculation Lou that he wasn't going to get uh, a favorable response from the crowd but uh, uh, you know Dion had a lot of critics in the city but I was I was kind of pleased last night they gave him they gave him a round of applause and he uh, he got choked up about it. You know what? At the end of the day, we tend to forget. Uh, you know, these guys are highly paid athletes, but they're human beings as well, and we always forget that. And he, he genuinely got choked up. And uh, crowd gave him a good response. He walked the. You know, he skated on the, on the ice. Uh, gave a little clap to the fans. Uh, put his uh, saluted the fans. I thought that was. A, I thought that was a pretty special moment for a much maligned athlete. Uh, your uh, your thoughts, Lou?
4: Well, I think the first day. Uh Dion Phaneuf stepped onto uh, Leaf Nation territory was more or less uh, exactly what you said there. It is more or less, you know, when you're anointed with the captaincy, even before you play one game with the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're, you're given the uh, the king of the reins here. You walk in, you turn the radio to your own station. Uh, it, it says enough about him, but again, it, it comes down to Dion Phaneuf being the human being that he is. And unfortunately for, for him and for him, for the Leaf fans out there, uh, everybody got caught up in the salary that, that he was making. I think that was the biggest uh, uh, farce around uh, for a guy who was making $6 million. Maybe he didn't deserve it, but that's not his fault. He worked hard. He came to the rink pr- uh, prepared to play. He was a professional. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a dark link to his name with uh, for the night, that uh, the salute night uh, after the Nashville loss. Uh, but at the end of the day, he is a human being. It was a great gesture on the... Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs' uh, behalf to to give him a, a ten or five minute video that they had, and you can see that uh, all the work that he did outside the game was uh, was unbelievable.
3: You know, I mean, we we talked about uh, Naz and I talked about Dion Phaneuf quite often, and uh, you know, you you can criticize him as a hockey player, um, and, and 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 the dilemma he faced, he got put into what was almost an impossible position. He didn't ask to be captain. He he was appointed captain. Um, you know the, the most the two most. I mean we've talked to a few leaf captains and we're talking to another one, former leaf captains today. And you know the, you know we've talked to Daryl Sittler in studio. We've talked to Dave Keon in studio. Um, you know we've uh, we've been talking to Dougie Gilmore today. We we actually had Dion Phaneuf on the show once, and he suffered to, to 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 a certain extent. Dion Phaneuf didn't have the personality of a Wendell Clark or Doug Gilmore. I mean, the two most beloved athletes, uh, if you want depending on how far you want to go back, in Toronto, uh, certainly on the hockey side were Dougie Gilmore and Wendell Clark. And you look back at their careers because they, you know, they, they they gave their, you know, they gave their they put their heart on the ice every single game they play. And the perception was that Dion Phaneuf didn't do that. And, it, it, and he wasn't that type of player. Um, he came in with incredible expectations. Uh, he was supposed to be the guy to lead them to the promised land. Uh, and quite frankly, in five years or whatever, they had what? One, one, one playoff series and one, one exit. Uh, he was criticized. Uh, the vitriol that, that people used to criticize him with, including the media was, was, was over the top. And, um, uh, you know when when Toronto fans turn on an athlete, man, you can't turn them around. Did you think some of the criticism, uh, both from the fans and both from the media, were were somewhat unfair,
4: Lou? Now, now looking back, looking back, you've got to remember that any time you put on a Leaf jersey and you're the captain of a, of probably the most famous team and most recognized team in the world, uh, next to the Montreal Canadiens, uh, it's a really it's a tough step to to come into uh, again. When you're what, 22, 23 years old and you're anointed the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, even before playing one game, earning that so-called C letter on your on the left side of your jersey, it's got to be tough because maybe you know it came down to Dion Phaneuf and I having the personality to be that kind of captain, not knowing what to expect coming from from Calgary, a small Canadian city, uh, where Daryl Sittler, Wendell, and and dougie embraced it because you know you look at all the three different personalities of those three captains and then you look at dion's uh, personality they're sure they're different eras but at the end of the day is you've got to put what we say or what the uh, uh the newspaper people say aside because you've got to come to work you've got to do your job dougie went to the extreme uh wendell put his uh body on the line every single night and uh, Daryl more or less just led by example. He just worked hard. He was fortunate enough to play with two guys like Lainey and, and Tiger and, and the teams in the, in the 70s that they, they came to battle every every game. And it's, it's just one of those things that if you don't have a thick skin, the media is going to kill you in this city. It did it to Todd Gill. It did it to Larry Murphy. It's just unbelievable. And, again, you've just got to block everything out, bring your lunch pail to work, work as hard as you possibly can, and sooner or later, you're going to win the fans over. And if you don't, you just got to keep doing it.
3: Anyways, uh, you're listening to the voice of Lou Franceschetti. Uh, Lou, of course, former Toronto Maple Leafs, in, in studio with me, uh, co-hosting with me today. Uh, we're going to go to break. And as soon as we come back from the break, uh, we'll have on the line uh, the current general manager of the Kingston Frontenacs, who are uh, burning up the OHL in the month of February, Doug Gilmore. will be right back with Doug Gilmore.
5: It was a rainy day when Pizzaville brought back the large five-topping pizza special for just 13 for a limited time. I'm whispering because the last time Pizzaville brought back this special, there was pandemonium in the streets, pushing, shoving, biting. So order now and order often, and hopefully you won't have any bite marks when this is over. Call Pizzaville for the large five-topping pizza special at pound 3636 from your cell phone. Shh!
0: Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey.
7: This is Daryl Sittler for Alta, Infinity, and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodBridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice.
8: With a little training, anyone can learn the security business while on duty at your home or company. It's unfortunate, but a lot of security companies are just not experienced enough to handle the complex dynamics of tactical security. And that little bit of training and experience can end up costing you a lot more than you bargained for. Peace of mind, trust, and honor is the foundation on which the Regal Security reputation is built. They're driven, they're respected, and they're unrivaled. They're everyday superheroes. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. From face-offs to playoffs,
2: Field goals to own goals. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio.
3: Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. And once again, if you're listening in downtown Toronto, we are also on 96.7 FM. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, of course, Toronto Maple Leaf living legend, Doug Gilmore. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing great. Thanks so much. Of course, you're you're the current uh, general manager of the uh, Kingston Frontenacs, and uh, the Frontenacs are doing fantastic. Uh, One tenant of eleven in February, and I know you're down in southwestern Ontario and Upper Michigan this weekend. Uh, bring us up to date on uh, how well the how well the Frontenacs are doing, Doug.
9: Well, again, don't want to jinx ourselves here, but it's uh, it's been a great ride. Obviously, a friend of your guys, uh, Michael Del Cole, who made that last deal, um, just kind of put us over the top, so it's just a uh, compliment our hockey team, and we got uh, seven games to go, and uh, hopefully a couple more wins, we'll, um, we'll clinch uh, first, and then uh, go from there, uh, play off for a different story, as we all know, but it's been a fun year.
3: Uh- Talking, of course, to Doug Gilmore. Doug, just want to let you know, in studio with me as a co-host this morning is Lou Franceschetti, uh, former Toronto Maple Leaf and uh, Buffalo Sabers, and uh, he says uh, uh, Capitals and Washington Capitals. uh, He says he was on on the ice with you a few times uh, over the course of his career, but uh, he says he couldn't get anywhere near you. So, uh, Lou, uh, I know you want (laughs) to, I know you want to catch up with Doug and say hello and. uh, ask a few questions.
4: Morning, Dougie. How are you? Hey, Louie. How you doing, bud? Good. Listen, what do you, who do you think is, uh, is a team to beat, Other than obviously, than you guys? Uh, I've looked at the standings. I don't follow it that closely. But um, is Erie as good as they are coming out of the West?
9: Yeah, you, Louis. They're, they're good. You, you look at, uh, you know, there's a new word in the NHL called analytics, and uh, the OHL is the same thing just puck control um i see the west there's like three or four teams in the west that really control the puck and uh for us in the east you know barry's a great team uh niagara's a good team you know what it's uh it's a hard thing that i kind of pick right now but our biggest goal is right now to clinch first overall and uh, again we play in Windsor today they would play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday again. So it's it's uh, it's wrapping up here. But uh, in the in the West, London is good, Erie is good, um, Windsor that we're playing today is good, uh, Starny is good. So again, we don't have to face them once if we ever get that far. And uh, I'm not even worried about them.
3: Uh, Doug, uh, you picked up a couple of key additions uh, at the trade line. One you just talked about, Michael Del Cole. Of course, the other one is uh, I think it's Stephen DeRoche, De and these are these are yeah. quali- quality people from last year's Memorial Cup. Uh, Memorial Cup. Tell us how much of a difference they've made uh, to the front necks and uh, and how, what what they add in terms of uh, what they bring to uh, bring to the rink every day.
9: Well, uh, I'll start with Michael. He's just, uh, you know, he just I think the biggest thing is he was having a tough year in Oshawa from the changeover. Uh, That's junior hockey, yeah, but. One year you can win, and then you're going to be very average the next year. We got him. He just took off. He had eight goals. He's probably got pretty well now. So it's uh, it's been a pretty uh, fun ride with having him here. He's talented. He's big. He sees the ice. like Probably one of our best guys uh, offensively. Uh, Not a selfish guy. Great teammate. We go back to Steven Deroche, Toronto Maple Leaf pick. You know what? Just a solid kid. He plays 28 minutes a night for us, and we're going again. We're going in our third game on this road trip, and Stephen does everything right. You know what? It's just uh, he's a solid guy. He's gonna he's gonna be a great pro one of these days. And again, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, I don't know. But just solid, solid people and great people in that in the dressing room. They won it last year, and that's just kind of carrying over for our for our
3: hockey club. We're talking to Doug Gilmore, of course, a Toronto Maple Leaf legend. And, Doug, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, uh, about you and uh, your outstanding career. But, uh, you know, just doing a little bit of research on you the other day and uh, came across some facts that I had completely and utterly forgotten about. I mean, I, everybody remembers you for the incredible Hall of Fame career you had, for the incredible run and the passion that you gave us in the early 90s in, in Toronto. And uh, I always... You know, when I need a boost in my uh in my uh in my morale, I always I always check out the video of you scoring that goal behind from in uh against the St. Louis Blues and the incredible call by Bob Cole. But uh your uh, your career got off to uh, uh sort of a slow start in the sense that it's incredible to look back, but you were actually when you came up to be drafted in the NHL, you went undrafted the first year. Yeah. And the second time around, you got drafted in the seventh round by, by the yep. St. Louis Blues. And you know what? Whenever I, I you know, I just, I, I find that incredibly hard to fathom, given that you had some tremendous years in Cornwall. In fact, you're still one of the leading point getters ever in OHL history. Um, your career got when did you realize uh, when did you first realize that you were going to be I guess number one an NHL player number two a star in the NHL
9: Well I don't as Lou knows you don't ever think about it that way I was uh, I had a little chip on my shoulder obviously getting drafted um, in the seventh round and I got in a fight uh, about three games in a season and I'm a left I fought a guy named Mike Eagles at uh, Lou knows. He's a lefty, too. He broke my nose and cheekbone. So I said, well, this is not like, the best idea I ever thought about. So it, it went on from there that uh, my 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 last year junior, Jacques Demers, said to me, listen, we got Bernie Federico, we got Guy uh, Schwerd, we got Blake Dunlop, Larry Patey. Can you check? I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, defensively, can you check? Like, well, Louis knows. In the days, it's 25 in the minors or 75 pro. <laughs> I'll check. So I went from 177 points in junior to playing against the top guys all the time. and It, it just, you know, it benefited me personally that you have to play two-way game. So when uh, Jacques Martin came in three years later, gave me the opportunity to go offensive, and, and then uh, I did that. So, again, it's just a, the a timing. It's everything, and... Um, again, it's, just a, it's a blessing to get there. As Louie knows, it's hard to get there. But it's a blessing to get there. And then once I got there, it's like nobody's taking my job. So that's just the way it is.
4: You know, Dougie, it's it's amazing how some of these hockey players nowadays think that because they're 30 and 40 goal scorers in the minor leagues, they have to come to the National Hockey League to actually, actually score 30 or 40. But if they adjust their games to to what the team needs and the team wants them to do they can have a very very good career but on the side things here um, you know there's two famous captains that came out of Cornwall you and Danny and I remember talking to Danny uh, about this and he got drafted out of uh, midget hockey weighing 145 pounds And you, I think you were 165 or 170 when you came in. He was 140 in junior. Well, (laughs) there you you go. I'd like to hear some of the battles that you and Danny had when you went head-to-head at all those classic uh, St. Louis and Toronto Maple Leaf playoff rounds.
9: There's a a gentleman named Gordy Woods that was our scout and general manager in Cornwall. I went up and saw Cornwall play the year of my draft, and uh, so... I was a defenseman. I played with double Bulls tier two, and I jumped on the scales the next year. I was 5'9", 138 pounds.
7: <laughs>
4: Hard and, to believe.
9: And the guy that was on the scale behind me, I believe his name was Jeff Crawford. Uh, he was like 6'5", 240. So it was, it was one of those things that, you know what, when you put your helmet on, you don't know you're small, and you just compete you know, the media fed me because every, everybody, all of them said, there's not a chance this guy will make it. I said, okay, thank you very much. And that's how I took the experience and, you know, the hard the hardship sometimes I was like, okay, you're small, but you got to do this, you got to do this. And, and again, it's just, uh, you believe in something, you try to do it. And, uh, Hopefully, again, the timing everything else that goes
3: with it. We're talking to Doug Gilmore. Doug, of course, is the current uh, GM of the Kin- Kingston Frontenacs and, of course, beloved Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, one thing uh, we've always said on this show: one of the biggest differences in sports from yesterday and today is today's athletes don't seem to have nicknames anymore. And uh, you had one <laughs> of the, you had one of the great ones of all time.
9: Yeah, but you, you- you gotta understand what happened there.
3: Okay, tell us, tell my, us the story. First of all, the nickname my, the nickname was Killer, but how would you get right, that one, Doug?
9: My my roommate was Brian Sutter. Louie knows probably most intense player I've ever played with. Uh, a great teacher. So my roommate for five years, and uh, he called me Charlie, and because I had the mullet, I was a skinny little rat. It looked like Charlie Manson. That's where it came from, Killer. So not a, not a great not a, Good way to
3: have it, but it certainly wouldn't be politically correct these days, and they'd probably edit it. But you know what? In in terms of the way you played the game, uh, uh, probably it, it to the extent that it reflected that you left everything on the ice, it was appropriate. Um, uh, well, ahead.
9: you know, again, who knows? It's a tough place to play. When you get there, you try to do your best at all times. And again, did I make a lot of mistakes? Hundred percent, I did. When you have your helmet on, it's survival out there, and take it off. You look back and go, did I really do that? Yeah, I did, but that's how I had to survive the play, and um, again, I got no regrets about it. I love the game to this day, and I'm a big fan.
4: Dougie, do you think this league uh, lacks personality? Uh, because of all the money that they're making and, you know, all the hoopla that everybody does after they score a goal, but the true personality of an individual is is lacking um, in this game?
9: You know what? It's, uh, again, I've been out of it for 13 years, and it's uh, it's just a different game. And it's, uh, whether it's better or not better, I don't know. Uh, As far as character-wise, yeah, you... It's always good to have people that, you know, have a little bit of, I guess, character from TV to radio, whatever it might be, but it just, uh, it's it's changed. And, Louis knows we we play alumni games together and stuff, and we sit back and laugh and tell stories. Uh, I don't know if they're going to do that in in time, like to jump on a charter, go here, go there, go home. Do they have fun besides? I know they do, but it's just, it's a different, different time.
3: We're talking to Doug Gilmore. Doug, we won't keep you much longer, but uh, one question I do have to ask you, uh, we, you know, we've, we've had uh, some, uh, some of the great Leaf captains of all time have been on the show in the recent past, Dave Keon and uh, Daryl Sittler, and, of course, we're privileged to have you, a uh, former Leaf captain, on the show. And the one question I always ask, um, when did you, how did you find out that you were going to be the Leaf captain? Of course, we're going back to the mid-'90s, and uh, what did it mean to you?
9: Well, obviously, um, my brother is 13 years older than I am, and uh, he played junior in London for a year with Daryl Sittler, Dan Maloney. So, again, I was three years old. As I got older, you, you know, every Saturday night, we all did, to this day, it's not that much too many Saturday night games the way it used to be, but we had that opportunity to watch hockey. And when I played in Calgary, um, I knew I was getting traded. I didn't know where. And I got traded to Toronto. and just, wow, this is really cool. And uh, as far as being the captain, um, one of my favorite captains of all time is Juan La Clark. And uh, just a unselfish leader, just a great guy. And, um, you know, he got traded and they made me. So it's, it's, I, I don't look back at it as the captain, I look back at it as my experience with my teammates, and the teams that we had. Uh, I love because you was so. Everybody accepted their role. They were unselfish, and that's the biggest thing. If you win as a fourth line guy, you other teams are going to want you. If you win a, or lose as a fourth line fourth line guy, teams don't want you. So I look back at it, learning from Brian Sutter to Lanny McDonald to. You know, again, it goes on, Rob Ramage, like, this is great. And, yeah, I accepted the captain, of course, and very proud of it. But it's, 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 there was a lot of leaders that taught you way before that.
3: Anyways, Doug, listen, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it certainly was, it's a privilege for us. Uh, you know, you said that you played at 139 pounds uh, way back when. I My guess is 138. 138 of that was probably your heart. Uh, it certainly well, it certainly was there isn't you know we uh, you, you brought us so much passion and so much joy uh, in, in the in the 1990s playing for the Leafs and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning and we wish the Kingston Front all the best in the OHL playdowns and hopefully there's uh hopefully there's a memorial cup uh, in Kingston's uh, in Kingston's coming Kingston way this spring doug thanks so yeah, much it, for joining us be awesome. That Thank would be guys, great. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. That good luck, pro- Dougie. Good luck. Thank that, that, of course, was uh, Doug Gilmore, a uh, guy that you, uh, you played against. We just touched it on very briefly, uh, uh, Lou. Uh, you know, you played in the 80s. Doug was, I guess, for most of that time was probably with uh, either St. Louis or Calgary. But
4: uh, certainly a guy who brought it every single game. Oh, boy, did he bring it. It, it was just one of those things that, uh, you know, it's... It was always a big man's game. And with Dougie, especially back then, uh, where there was hooking and grabbing, and uh, you had to be a little bit uh, more aggressive. You had to get through all those checks. Uh, But, uh, you know, you've got to admire guys like Dandu, Stevie Thomas, uh, Dougie Gilmore. All these guys are all, what, 5'10", 5'9". But they put their heart and they put their bodies on the line every single night. And they didn't care whether you carved them. They just came back for more because at the end of the day, pain is there for one moment, and then it'll be gone. And I guess that's the way they looked at it. Uh, it's not like you're taking th- their life away. More or less, you might be taking their life away if you get the advantage of them because they'll come back and they'll just want to get that extra step on you. But it, it's just, it was admirable just to watch these guys play at the size and at the level and at the heart that, that they gave to this game.
3: Doug Gilmore will be right back after the break with Toronto Raptors analyst, Leo Routens.
5: It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced the really big pizza deal. It's even bigger than Toronto basketball star Jonas Valanciunas. He wears size 17 shoes, but the really big pizza is 18 inches topped with pepperoni. Plus, you get 16 wings. And you get the really big pizza deal for just 29 dollars 99 Try getting Jonas for that. Call Pizzaville at pound 3636 from your cell phone.
0: Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some
7: pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the Number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes
6: Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them, every day. They've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigobon Carly, the intelligent choice.
8: The security business is easy, right? Anyone can learn it. Perhaps they can learn it on duty with your valuables at stake. Perhaps they can learn it in a crisis situation that requires an immediate intelligent response when lives are at risk. After all, what harm can a few mistakes make? Plenty. When it comes to security for your business or office, an experienced partner like Regal Security makes sense. Security is what they do, peace of mind is what they provide. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The
2: boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and
3: welcome back to the Nazanwali Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome back to the Nazanwali Wally Sports Hour, Leo Routens. Leo, of course, is the uh, basketball commentator for the Toronto Raptors. He's a former coach of Canada's national basketball team. And uh, locally, he's a legend at St. Michael's College School. And uh, welcome back, Leo. How are you this morning? I'm great.
1: How are you guys this morning?
3: We're doing great. Uh, just so you're aware, I've got in studio with me, co-hosting with me this morning, Leo Lou Franceschetti, a former Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, Leo, sure. the Raptors great are... To be a part of this. Sorry? No,
1: I said that's great. Great to be a part of the show.
3: Thanks, Leo. Raptors are on a roll. Uh, they are... Uh, you know, fighting, I wouldn't say fighting, but they're up near first place overall in the Eastern Conference. Is this the way you would have envisioned this season? Uh, any surprises at all, Leo? Uh,
1: no, I don't think there are any, really any surprises. I thought the Raptors certainly would be uh, among the top teams, you know, in, in the Eastern Conference. Well, you know, I guess if you're going to look at one thing that maybe is a surprise, the fact that they were able to stay in second place despite it was really a, a, a difficult start. Um, you the know, most road games in the NBA to start the season, um, you know, two starters being hurt. You know, Damari Carroll's still out. Jonas Valanciunas missing 17 games. So to be, uh, you know, under those conditions and then to stay where they stayed and then to continue to play that way, um, that that would be a surprise, I guess. that would I would have to consider that a surprise. But other than that, everything has been... Has been really good. This team has just played well. They've gotten better, and they continue to find ways to win.
3: What's the? This is. This looks like it's headed towards being the the best uh, best Toronto Raptors team in history. Uh, pretty close to it, if not there already. Uh, certainly record wise, we're getting there. Uh, what's what's uh, who's been the key this year? What's uh, where is it been? Defense has it been? Offense has it been? DeRozan has it been? Lowry, uh, what's made it happen?
1: Well, it's all the above. I mean, you know, last year the defense went out the window, and everybody realized you don't defend, you don't win. Dwayne Casey's been preaching that since he got to Toronto. And right now the Raptors are a much better defensive team. Offensively, you have two all-stars. Lowry has been special. DeRozan has been special. Uh, And they've gotten good production from a lot of different people at different times. And, you know, the great thing is uh, I tell people they're still not 100% when they get Damari Carroll back in the mix and give him some time to play. This team still has room to get better, uh, and that, thats what I think makes this—makes this, uh, makes this a, a special season. And they do have an opportunity uh, to do that. I think they will. You know, the last—you uh, know—two years ago, they tied a franchise record, 40, forty-eight wins. Last year, they set a franchise record of forty-nine wins, and I believe this year, you know, they're going to top it. So, um, you know, a lot of good things happening. Uh, but as—as as everyone talks about, and you guys hear it all the time. You know, what are you going to do in the playoffs? And to, to have one of the greatest seasons in Raptor history, uh, really that's got to be uh, on the plate. You know, you have to you have to get by that first round. And, you know, I believe the Raptors are equipped to do that. They have the talent to do that. If they go into the playoffs healthy, they're more than capable of doing that. But it's going to be their biggest hurdle um, because whoever they, whoever they play in the first round, if they finish second and they, whoever they play at seventh spot will not be an easy opponent. It's going to be a tough out. And I really think that the even tougher than the opponent is the mental hurdle that you got to get over. That the the fact that that's all they hear about last last three years. That's all they've heard about is the first round.
3: Uh, Leo, so, you know. We'll, no, so go I, ahead. No, I'm sorry. sorry to interrupt, Leo. I uh, uh, just wanted to pursue that that uh, that train of thought. Um, in terms of uh, first round matchups, uh, it, you know we're we're getting into the into the end of the season where we can actually start talking about that. The the Raptors are five games clear of the third place team, but they're only I think two and a half back of uh, of Cleveland. Um, what would be a good what what would be good matchups for the Raptors in the first round, and what would be a bad matchup?
1: Honestly, I can't tell you a good one. Um, <laughs> It's simply because you may have, okay, This, if you look at the playoffs and with the amount of time left to go, uh, potentially at the seventh spot, you could have a healthy Washington. Remember, they've been banged up all year, and they swept the Raptors last year. Uh, you could have a healthy Chicago. Uh, they've been banged up and, and just recently starting to get all the guys back. You could have a, a Charlotte team that is always a thorn in the Raptors' side. You could have an Indiana Pacers that are having a surprisingly good year uh, with Paul George leading the way, you know, an all-star. Um, you know, when you look at the uh, Detroit Pistons that is on the rise uh, and playing, you know, better under, under Stan Van Gundy and the new players they've been able to, to put in that, in that uh, lineup. So when you look at the potential matchup in a 2-7 series, um, there is no easy one. There's no one I'd say I'd prefer over the other. Um, and they're all going to be a nightmare, and that, that's the thing. And now, I do believe the Raptors can win against any one of those teams, but as I, as I was saying, that, that that hurdle of getting over the hump when everybody says that's all that matters is going to be a, a, the bigger obstacle than the opponent, and that's, that's my only concern is if they get through that first round, I really do believe the Raptors can get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but the, the first round is going to be the, the biggest obstacle.
4: Leo, I remember last year the way this team started off uh, coming out of the gate really strong. And then right after the All-Star break, they went more or less on a downhill slide. Uh, Obviously, uh, Larry and DeRozan got broken down, and there really wasn't any depth there. This year, with the depth that you got with Corey Joseph, bringing Damari Carroll in as a free agent, uh, and getting Scola uh, as another free agent, it must have helped uh, the mindset of the players that were ahead of them. The guys, the starting five, and knowing that Terrence Ross is more or less having a more consistent year uh, than he had last year, it's got to be a good look at from from the point of view that the fans are are saying, listen, if, even if uh, Larry or even DeRozan go down for a bit, or if they get broken down, they have capable uh, backups, or the depth of, of this team is is never has never been this deep before. Is that true?
1: Oh absolutely, and, and Bismack Biombo was a big acquisition uh, over the summer as well, so um, I couldn't no, pronounce
4: with, with, with his name
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it's uh you know they have uh, obviously you don't want anybody to go down at this point. I mean you you have to stay healthy and, and that's the biggest thing. I think if the Raptors can go into the playoffs at a hundred percent. Uh, they, can beat, they, can beat, they can get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So that, that's the whole issue is getting there, and the depth has made a huge issue, and that's why I don't see players breaking down. Um, you know, Dwayne Casey is managing the minutes, and, and even though players are, even though, say, for example, Kyle Lowry's minutes, uh, you know, are high, but they're not the same minutes as last year. When you've got a player like Corey Joseph, that, you know, when he's in the game with Kyle and they play a lot together, half of Kyle's minutes are playing without the basketball in his hand. And that is that is takes so much wear and tear off a point guard when he can play without the basketball and, and also gives him a great opportunity to get shots. That's why he's shooting so well. So um, there's a lot of differences in this team because of the, the new players. And I think that the players that were here learned some very valuable lessons. And they, they did an unbelievable job you know, handling adversity and in the summertime, you know, retooling their bodies, you know, making sure that, you know, they understand now they know what it takes. Regular seasons, you know, the great regular seasons don't carry the, carry the way you got to perform in a postseason. So they've done everything they could possibly do to put their bodies in a position, uh, to maintain all season long. And, and that tells you uh, how important maturity and experience is.
3: Um, Leo Routins, Leo, uh, you, he- you know, you'd analyzed and have said twice already that uh, this is what they got to do to make it to the Eastern Conference <laughs> Finals. But do they have a shot against Cleveland if uh, if, if if it's a Cleveland-Toronto matchup? I guess in any, any sporting series, there's always the possibility. But what would have to happen for the for the Raptors to knock off the the Cavaliers if that matchup happens? Well,
1: LeBron would have to, you know fall into Lake Ontario and not make it <laughs> to the game. I mean, it's, like the, it's pretty simple. I mean, here, here's the thing. I believe there's three teams that can win an NBA championship, Cleveland, San Antonio, and Golden State. Uh, there's some other people that are, are think they can, but I, I don't think they can. Uh, so there's three teams, and Cleveland is the one team in the East. And, you know, uh, everybody says, hey, the Raptors can beat them, the Raptors can beat them. You know what? In a, in a series, if the Raptors get to the Eastern Conference Finals and they face Cleveland – you never know, obviously, what can happen. You can play out of your mind. They can. Some guys can struggle. Maybe some guys are banged up. Like last year, Cleveland lost two starters. So they lose two starters. You know, the Raptors have a chance, obviously. But, you know, uh, Cleveland, despite Raptors having a, uh, the tiebreaker between them, uh, don't be fooled. They are the best team in the East. LeBron is the one player that can you can put on any team in this league, and, 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 and he can change their, your future overnight. So, um, you know, they're 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 a very, very difficult out if the Raptors end up playing them. But you have to keep it in perspective that this team wasn't built right now to win a championship. This team is in the process of getting there. And if in that process you get to the Eastern Conference Finals and you have a great series uh, and maybe you push Cleveland, uh, I think that would be a remarkable season. And it, it would be the best season in Raptors history. And the great part is, like I said, you're still in the process. You're not a finished product.
3: Uh, we're talking to Leo Routens. Leo, you just uh, brought up uh, the other, uh, some other uh, great teams in this year's NBA and the other great stories in the NBA, and certainly remarkable seasons from uh, from Golden State and San, Anto- and San Antonio. What is, what is really remarkable is that Golden State's only lost five games, and they're a very, very short losing streak away from falling, falling out of first overall. It's really incredible what Golden State and San Antonio are accomplishing this year. Spurs haven't lost a game at home yet. They're 29-0. Uh, analyze for me Golden State and San Antonio and why they are such incredible teams. Obviously, the obvious answer is, uh, is Curry, but uh, analyze the teams.
1: Well, it's not just Curry McCurry's a phenomenal player, and he's having, a, you know, a historical season, but and his team is having a historical year. I mean, they may end up with the greatest record in NBA history. but uh, it's a great, it's a really good team. The way they play, they're just fun to watch. The ball moves. Everybody can shoot it. They play defense. Uh, they have a winning mentality. They find a way to win. Uh, uh, they're really like they're a team that I would I would pay money to watch in a heartbeat. Curry's a player that I've said for years I would pay money to watch this guy play. Um, and, and they just do everything right. But as you said, what's remarkable is here's a team that could finish with, with, with the best record in NBA history. And the San Antonio Spurs are like three games behind. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is a team and, and nobody talks about them nobody uh they're just like a team and and they've always been the kind of the vanilla of the nba where nobody really spends a lot of time talking about this team regardless of what they've accomplished and here's the scary part is they've made some deals uh they picked up andre miller a veteran point guard you know just just recently and they've also uh rumor is that they're also going to sign kevin martin who was just released by the minnesota timberwolves and that's another veteran that can score big points and So they're adding these little pieces that can only give them more depth, more experience, more firepower um, that comes into the playoffs. Watch out. And, you know, I I, I just can't believe people don't talk about this team more than they do. And as far as San Antonio and Golden State go head-to-head, they still have to play each other three more times, twice at San Antonio. So, uh, you know, you never know what can happen as the season boils down. But – I, I think you have some, you know, intriguing, fun, uh, interesting teams uh, to watch, and 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 again, you throw Cleveland into that mix as far as being one of the top three, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch how how these playoffs develop and uh, how everything plays out.
4: Leo, have you ever have you ever run into or observed a more professional team than the San Antonio Spurs? And obviously, with getting Corey Joseph. Uh, coming over from San Antonio has a little bit of that rubbed off on, on what he has brought to the uh, Toronto Raptors.
1: Oh yeah, I mean Corey, Corey's you know he had the greatest start to an NBA career you could ever imagine uh, to be a, to be a late first round pick and go to San Antonio and learn from, as you said. I mean I, I can't think of a better professional franchise in any sport uh, and the model of consistency that they've been. Uh, for Corey to, to be in that environment, to learn the game, to learn how to win, to learn how to play, uh, it's been a huge asset for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and, you know, he, you can't even put into words, you know, what, what he's meant to this team. And uh, plus being from Toronto, that's just icing on the cake that, you know, here's a Canadian kid or from Pickering, Canadian kid that, uh, you know, is part of the you know, the fabric of this team and, and, and the national team. And it's, it's just a great fit. Uh, but you know, when you, I've said it for years about San Antonio, that if I was an NBA GM, I would park outside their locker room (laughs) and uh, all training camp and whoever they let go, I'm going to grab because they spend so much time and they're so good at scouting, evaluating, bringing players in, drafting guys that nobody's heard of that all become players. I mean, Corey Joseph was untouched by almost everybody in that first round when he was drafted. Look at him today. Uh, you know, you can go down. Ginobili was a second-round pick. You could just go through their whole roster and and players that they've had in their program that people gave up on, nobody cared about. But they put them, they, they found them, they developed them, and they they made them players that they are. And and so, like I said, they've been they've been doing this for a long time. And I think there's a lot of GMs that don't quite understand. Uh, and like I said, I would be parking in their parking lot just waiting to see who comes out of that locker room that they let go.
3: We've been talking to Leo Routens. Leo, uh, we uh, certainly appreciate you once again taking the time to come on our show on a Sunday morning, and uh, we certainly appreciate your insights into all things basketball. Uh, uh, thanks thanks so much. Hey, my pleasure. I always enjoy coming on with you guys. Thank you. Have a great week. Thanks, Leo. That, of course, right. was uh, Bye. That, of course, was Leo Routens, uh, basketball analyst, and uh, certainly the Golden State, San Antonio. I didn't realize they have three games left between each other. I'm certainly going to look those games up on the schedule because that should be the best basketball of the season.
4: Well, especially with two of them in San Antonio yeah. where they're undefeated. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's teams in the West, if you put them in the East, and they're going to rank yeah. right up there with the Raptors in and, uh, and Cleveland. So I, I still wouldn't kill out Oklahoma City. With the explosiveness they have yeah. with Westbrook and uh, Durant. and Durant, yeah. and then the big question mark is where's Durant going to go next year? Unrestricted free agency, uh, you know who, who who the hell knows that? Uh, where he goes. W- yeah, where he goes.
3: Certainly, it's going to be some interesting basketball. Like I'm going to certainly circle Golden State and San Antonio. Three games left two in San Antonio. I'm going to circle those on my calendar. Certainly want to watch that. There's some uh, other interesting. Uh, developments this week in the world of hockey and uh, Lou you and I want to talk we want to chat in the last few minutes we have and uh, we've got time for a couple of quick calls if you want to give us a call talk about anything sports 416-360-0740 740 740 is a huge hockey event coming to Toronto or it's been called a huge hockey event coming to Toronto this September the World Cup of hockey, and uh, there are announcements of the preliminary rosters this week, and there are some interesting developments in some of the players. And the one interesting omission from the Canadian team is P.K. Subban. Now, this isn't the let's let's be clear here. This isn't the final team; it's the first 16. There's going to be some more picks on June the first. I have every expectation that P.K. Subban will probably end up being. On the, on the final World Cup roster for Canada. Um, your thoughts. Should
4: he have been on the initial four? Should he be on the team? Lou? I really don't think he should have been on the first four. And the reasons are, you look at the first four that they are given. They're a safe, solid defenseman. Duncan Keith, uh, Shea Weber, uh, Drew Doughty and uh vlasic out from from san jose they were the top four d coming out of the uh, the olympics three years ago and it was more or less you look at what mike babcock whoever is going to be coaching this team is they're going to want safe players and i think pk as exciting and as a great personality that he is uh i'm not sure if they want him on this team with the chances that he takes you've looked at the uh the games that montreal has played in the last 10 days he puts, he, he puts himself into a position where he thinks he has to do everything. He has to make the perfect play every single time out there. And it's caused the Montreal Canadiens dearly, I'd say probably me four or five points. And, and it's a situation where I don't know whether Mike Babcock, whoever is coaching this team, is going to want him on the ice at a certain time of the uh, game to, to cause those kind of problems.
3: I, I think you, you analyze that completely perfectly, Lou. Mike Babcock... Doesn't like risk, high risk, high reward players. He likes certainty. And PK Subban uh, brings a lot, but he also, you know, at times he makes uh, critical mistakes. But you know, he's he's a difference maker in the game too. You know, from that point of view, I think eventually he should be on the team. I don't think he's Mike Babcock's type of player, uh, but I think he's got just. I think he's got too much talent to leave off the team. They're going to have to find a role for him. When they brought him to Sochi, unfortunately, that role was he played one game in, in a nothing game. Um, I think they've got to find something. He's got to be part of this team somehow. Um, the player I want to see on this team, and I thought he should have gone to Sochi, I think he's ultra-talented, is Taylor Hall in Edmonton. Um, I hope we see Taylor Hall on this team. And I want to go to another issue with this whole tournament and unfortunately we don't, we don't have that much time to, to, to argue it in depth, is this whole concept of this Team North America under 23. I, I don't understand it. Um, I think Connor McDavid should be lining up on, on Canada's main team. I think Connor McDavid should be on Canada's main team. I think Aaron Eckblad should be on, on Canada's main team. And I think Nathan McKinnon, deserves a shot on being on Canada's top 23. And I don't know what it is about this under 23 team. Is it North American arrogance? Do we really think that we can beat the other teams in the world without our absolute best? I mean, you know, uh, the Finnish team gets Barkov. He's a 20 year old, the Russian team. They've got those two incredible young Russian players playing in Tampa and Washington. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why we think we can win a tournament without playing with our absolute best. And if we lose the tournament and Connor McDavid, uh, you know, plays like a superstar, are, are, is Canada going to say, "Oh, we would have won it if we had Connor McDavid in our lineup"? I don't get it,
4: Lou. The problem is there, uh, Wally. Is is that the countries? That they've omitted, Switzerland, Belarus, and and Germany, are not up to standards of what the National Hockey League actually thinks. That,
3: I don't care about Team Europe. I only care about Team Canada, the, and I don't I think know, we're sending uh, our best.
4: But I, what I'm saying is they don't have a team to fill that eighth spot, and they think, again, by marketing – the younger players marketing the National Hockey League, they think that by putting a team of under 23 stars, you look at that under 23 stars.
3: It's the, a play, great team, but those players but, should be playing on the U.S. team, should be playing on the Canadian team. Five some of those of guys
4: should be playing on the U.S. Uh, over-23 team, but they're not. Because Isn't they, Johnny
3: they, they, Hockey playing on the, yeah, the under-23 team? Yeah, you he's, be- he's one of the best American you, players you right at, now.
4: You look at uh, Seth Jones. You look at Brandon Saunders. Look at all these. They should be playing on the big team. I, I don't, but I, what they've done is they've put they've, they've given the older players one last crack at playing at the world stage. So now you got these guys. And you, if you look at it, Connor McDavid in the next Olympic or the next, he's going to be their best player. But he in, won't in, be on this team because he's still under twenty three. Oh, so they're going to have to yeah. more or less break that rule or put different uh, legislation but, into it. Because he's, not gonna, he's only going to be 22 years old the next time they have a World Cup. And they've already announced they're going to have another World yeah, Cup.
3: I, I don't understand. I, I understand the marketing aspect of it. You want to highlight your young players that wouldn't otherwise play. But at the end of the day, do you not want to find out which, in September of this year, which country has the best hockey team? And unfortunately, with this tournament, with this tournament, we're not going to find that out. Uh, you know, unless Canada wins, well, we're going to tur- win this, with one This arm tournament's time, a but... money grab.
4: Of course it's a okay? money grab. So what they've done is they've put the younger team on stage Man, to, see how, I... to see how they compete against yeah. the older players, and they're getting ready for the next Olympics. That's what they've done. They're going to wean guys like Getzlaff, yeah. Perry, all these guys out. McDavid yeah. and guys like that are going to move into their slots because they want to see yeah. how, they, how they handle themselves at this uh at yeah. this stage
3: anyways lou i gotta apologize i have to interrupt and to our listeners who called in and were on hold i have to apologize as well our producer's given me the uh the sign that we've got to get off the air this is certainly a topic uh that we're gonna we're gonna follow up on and uh we'll talk about it again uh naz you're out there get better we want you back here again next sunday to all our listeners have a fantastic week thanks for joining us